Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime, and we are back in USA! USA! <laughs> so here we go. We are, and we right. are starting in Oklahoma. Oh boy. Where the wind comes rushing down the plane, and so does white nationalist freak shows. So, so I have known about this case for a while, and I know I talked about it a little bit on last yeah. week's episode. I've known about it. I never really knew any like details. It happened. I was only like a year old when it happened. So You're such an infant. I know, but I watched a show about it last last week, mm-hmm. and. It tore me to pieces. I was so emotional well, over it. Well, and, you know, and I feel like this is a case, like, okay, so, you know, we just had the anniversary of 9-11. Yes. And, you know, you see a lot of shows about it and people, you know, they never forget and people want to remember. And we should. I, I don't want to be disrespectful in any way of that event. But for me, Oklahoma City is something that is much more a symbol of the true danger that we are facing right now as Americans. I also agree with that because the bombing in Oklahoma City still to this day has the highest casualty rate from a homegrown terrorist. It was the worst terrorist attack in the United States. Until period. Period yeah. until 9-11. Yes. And now it still is for, for the domestic, being a, home, a yeah, homegrown. Domestic terrorism. Yeah. And I'm, I don't know, I'm surprised it doesn't get talked about as much. There's not. Yeah. And like I even. In, well, this is my problem across the board. I'm sorry. No, I'm, you're good. I, I'm, I'm very impassioned about this, <laughs> as you know, because you've dealt with my freak show-ness enough. Um, but this whole thing of the white nationalist movement, movement in the United States to me, is our number one threat. And it is going to tear this country apart. And I know that sounds maybe hysterical, maybe like I'm overstating the problem, but that is, for me, the... I mean, if you look at the mass shootings that we have, if you look at the number of domestic violence cases that we have in this country, you look at the incel movement in this country... All of them are strands in this same spider web. Right. And that is, like I said, it affects so many more of us without us even realizing it because our attention is always put here, you know, out there, the other, there, the enemy. And, you know, there's a very, very famous old cartoon and... Now I can't think of the name of it, but it has the little cartoon character saying, you know, we have, we have met the enemy and he is us. And that held true back then when that cartoon was first published. I believe it was in the 1960s. And it is, I think, even more true today. Yeah. So the way that we're doing this week is a little different than normal. We are doing one case... Kind of together. Yeah. So it's kind of, we're, we're kind of doing a team effort on this because there is so much to cover. Right. That we are going to split this into two episodes. We're going to try to keep it as easy to follow as possible. Right. We're going to try to use as many timelines as possible. But technically, Oklahoma, the bombing in Oklahoma City is not the only thing we're going to be talking about today. There are right. two other 
big things that happened before this that do take a lot of part in it. Right. And again, in those two cases, as well as the Oklahoma City bombing, all three of those are still, you know, kind of cause celebre issues for white nationalists today. They right. still hold these assholes up as heroes and martyrs to the movement and all of this kind of nonsense and BS. Right. And like I said, I know that it just, I, I just can't believe that we're still dealing with this bullshit, I guess. I lived through all of these things. Right. I lived in Idaho while Ruby Ridge was happening. I remember I went to school in Moscow, Idaho, which is not that far from Ruby Ridge. And I remember all of these. I remember when we still had the, you know, the white supremacist church that was up there in Hayden Lake, Idaho, you know, centered. I still remember when they used to come down to the University of Idaho and try to recruit, you know, before they were finally driven out of the state. Jeez. Although there's still pockets of those assholes up there. Um, and so, yeah, I feel very passionate about this because there was a time when, you know, you said Idaho and people automatically associated it with neo-Nazis. Yeah. And there's still a lot of people today. And, you know, that's, that's really, really disheartening. So today we, or yeah, so today's episode, we're going to cover um, the siege in Ruby Ridge. Right. We are going to cover the siege in Waco, Texas. Right. And then we are going to cover the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City bombing of itself. Right. And then on Thursday, we're going to talk about the person who committed the bombing and go into their um, history, their past, and where, how he came to be right. this monster. And the possibilities of, do we even know everybody who was involved in it? Because right. that's a lingering question mean, as well. There are so many conspiracies behind oh, this. Oh, I know. That I thought that maybe we would have had time to like go into conspiracies, but I don't think we're going to. No. And I don't think we should. Because, no. I mean, I do think at its heart, it is a valid question of, you know, was it just McVeigh and Weaver? I am of the opinion... No, it wasn't. They obviously had other people who helped them in some way, right. you know, and have some connection. Yeah, some modicum of responsibility in all of this. Um, but a lot of the conspiracy theories just get Crazy. wacky and yeah. yeah, we don't want to go out there. No. So you're going to tell us about Ruby Ridge and you're going to tell us about Waco, Texas. Yeah. And then we will go into and I'm going to keep these fairly short and sweet. And then if you need more information, I'll try to provide that. Okay. So Randy Weaver was known to be associated with white supremacists. Okay. And so he had, in fact, been targeted by the federal government because of this. And so a lot of people want to go, oh, that's so unfair. You know, no, I'm sorry. If you are a known white supremacist, you should bloody well be targeted. And this is my problem with the whole Confederate flag issue as well. If you are flying a Confederate flag, you are flying a flag of the enemy of the United States of America. And I don't understand where people get off and want to turn this into some sort of an excuse for heritage and blah. No, that is a flag that represents people that wanted to destroy the United States of America. Period. End of story. 
Okay, do you want to tell us who uh, Randy Weaver is? Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's so, okay. You just, just like jumped right in. Well, and... because it ties into that. Do yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, because that's the mentality of these people. These are not people who respect and support the United States of America. These are people who want to create some hellscape version of that. Yeah. And I think we need to be very clear about that from the get-go. Okay. So, um... So anyway, uh, Randy Weaver on October 24th, 1989, was accused of selling two sawed-off shotguns, sorry, I'm all worked up here, (laughs) to an undercover federal agent, all right? So he'd gotten in trouble, and as as often the case, um, they tried to get him to turn evidence. So on June 12th of 1990, Federal agents approached him about becoming an informant on other white separatists in northern Idaho. And like I said, at the time, you had, you know, a compound in Hayden Lake, Idaho, for white supremacists. They were very active, okay? Okay. Um, He refused. And in December, a federal grand jury in Boise indicted him for selling illegal weapons to the undercover agent. Right. All right. So I'm sure there was some sort of a, hey, you know, we'll let you off on this. If you help us, he refused. Okay. So on January 17th of 1991, he and his wife, Vicki, were both arrested. He had a trial date in Moscow, Idaho, which isn't, like I said, too far Mm -hmm. from Ruby Ridge. And he did not appear for trial. Okay. So a federal bench warrant was then issued for his arrest. On March 14th, he was indicted for failure to appear at trial. And on March 15th, the Weavers and their three children begin an 18-month sit-in in their cabin near Naples, Idaho. So they had friends who were bringing them supplies, and they basically just hold up. And they said, you know... We're not leaving, and you can't come get us, basically. And they had a friend named Kevin Harris who periodically would visit the cabin, bring them supplies, and like I said, it seems like others of their, you know, Nazi friends were involved in this as well. Marshals keep the cabin under surveillance. And by the way, I'm reading this off of the AP News timeline. I want to make sure I give them credit for putting these things together. In order. Yeah. Yeah. I'm adding some of my own commentary, but they did a really good job. So um, August 21st of 1992, for whatever reason, they do decide that they're going to go in and arrest them. And like I said, you know, at the time, and this is a thing that, you know, people are like, well, just leave them alone. You know, they weren't hurting anybody. Again, if you are a white nationalist, you are, by definition, guilty of treason. You want to overthrow the government of the United States as it now stands. You know, I mean, I don't understand what people don't get about that. Right. So um, a reconnaissance team were around. And, and this is a tragedy. Don't get me wrong. There, there is some real sadness here. Unexpectedly, this reconnaissance team encountered Weaver's son, Samuel, who was 14, and the family dog. There is a shootout. Both the dog and 14-year-old Samuel Weaver are killed. The poor dog. I know. <laughs> I like the way you're sad for the dog, but not the kid. Well, and it, it, is, it does know. kind of suck because the 14-year-old, 
He was raised right. Uh, you know what I mean? He was you raised want to, talk to be about, his dad. You want to talk about indoctrination. You know, these kids were homeschooled. You know, there's a lot right. of just... They didn't yeah. have a chance to form their own opinions. Exactly. So it is sad about the boy. Yeah. But because he was... I, I almost want to say brainwashed. Oh, he no, he was brainwashed. Just you call know what it I what mean? it is. And so it is sad, but mm-hmm. like the dog didn't have to no. die. No, <laughs> And of course, you know, that alerts everybody and it gets very dangerous and very um, tense very quickly. So you have federal, state, and local authorities and National Guard troops are actually called Mm -hmm. in. So that again lets you know the severity of this. They surround the cabin. Now, this is again a very controversial moment in the case. On August 22nd, there was a sharpshooter who feared that um, Harris and Weaver were going to fire at a surveillance helicopter in the area. Okay, so they opened the door. He, that was his fear. Can I can I pause you for a moment? Yes. So when we talked about the death of the 14-year-old and the dog, I also want to add in there that one of the deputy U.S. Marshals also died during that shootout. Right, right. So I just want to throw yeah, that in no, there. Yeah, no, yeah. That it wasn't I, like, you know what I There was more deaths. Yes, there, and, the, and the kid shot first. Now, if I'm remembering the time, and again, you know, you have testimony from both sides, and your little neo-Nazis aren't really interested in facts, so right. they have a very different version of this. But if I remember correctly, the dog was shot and killed first because it was aggressive. It attacked, you know, when it saw the people, the boy started shooting and then then it it went from there. It escalated. Yes. And so this was also controversial because when Harris or Weaver, when they opened the door, um, the sharpshooter had a bead on them and took it, but shot Mrs. Weaver and killed her. Yes. And she was standing behind her husband. Again, the Nazis like to claim, oh, this was, you know, she's a victim. Like, they just, you know, cold-bloodedly murdered her. Um, But you also have to think that she's probably got the same mindset as he does. Of course she she, does. She wouldn't have married him and had kids with him. She she was also a criminal on the run. I mean, she had been arrested as well. Right. So, obviously, again, you know, and here's the thing. These are the same people who like to pull the... You know, whenever a black person is murdered by the police unarmed, they're the same people who like to pull up. Well, they just done what the cops had told them. They wouldn't have gotten shot. If these people had just done what the cops had told them, they They wouldn't have gotten gotten shot. shot. Yep. So, um. And that was all within the first two days. Yeah, this this all happened very quickly. So Samuel and the dog are killed on August 21st. Mrs. Weaver is killed on the 22nd. Um, and... Harris surrenders on August 30th and Weaver surrenders on August 31st. Right. So the whole thing lasted 11 days. Right. And there were um, just the four casualties. Right. The U.S. Marshal, the son, the dog, and the wife. Right. But this turns into, like I said, Randy Weaver immediately becomes excuse me, a hero to the white nationalist movement. This becomes, you know, their battle cry becomes that, you know, the federal government 
is, you know, turning them into poor little baby victims. And they're not trying to do anything. They're just poor little people trying to be patriots, which just, I want to punch everybody in the face who takes that, you know, kind of attitude after the things that these people have done. Right. So that's Ruby Ridge in a nutshell. Also, can we talk about the fact that there was a settlement? Did yes. <clears throat> like I said, Randy Weaver came out of this smelling like a rose. Right. Because he got a huge settlement for the death of his wife and son. $380,000. Well, so it was... Okay, so no, that was wrong. I am sorry. sorry. So that um, Harris had gotten a settlement as well. And his was $380,000. And that was in September of 2000. And um, Weaver had gotten a... A settlement in August of 1995 of 3.1 million dollars. Yep. Like, so. what the fuck? I don't understand how someone does something illegal and then holds themselves up for however long, has this 11-day siege of trying to like arrest him has been calling for the overthrow of the government of the United States. Right. And in initially starts a shoot off with fucking with yeah. the U S marshals yeah. and then gets $3.1 million because his son and his wife died. They were involved too. Like why it well, makes no fucking but sense. But here's the thing. That's because we were a country of laws and rules and the federal government had very strict Guidelines and rules by which they were governed, as did the law enforcement. This is also all pre-9-11. And that's the other thing that people just do not comprehend. Yeah. I, you know, I think people, and not not to pull the, you know, age card. I'm not saying this in any way of a disrespectful way. But people of your age just do not understand how, like, amazingly bizarre for me the turn is in the powers that have been given police in this country it's kind of scary to me when i was growing up cops could not shoot somebody who was running away you could not shoot somebody in the back like ever right you know now (laughs) you just need to feel unsafe and you can shoot and kill them so we have really had a huge pendulum swing that I don't, that's another thing that I don't think it's talked enough about in this country either. Right. You know, nowadays, I think similar circumstances, I don't think any of that would have happened. Do you know what I mean? Right. I think it, the whole attitude would have been too bad, so sad, buckaroo. That's what you get. Bye bye. Yeah. It's just like that. Oh, fucking pisses me off. Yeah. Because $3.1 million. When you were doing something illegal to begin with. Yeah. Like you were already. Many things illegal. Right. I mean, they just, that was the one thing that they finally met. It, it, it was kind of like, you know, back when the way that they finally caught Al Capone was to go after him for income tax evasion. Do you know right. what I'm saying? Like, you know, there's this mountain of other things that these people have done, but you've only got the one. And that's, that's the case with Randy Weaver. End of story. Yeah. Period. 
So are we on to Waco now? Let's move on to Waco. Give that in a nutshell, <laughs> I guess, if you can. So more people might remember this one. I think just because there was a lot more television coverage of this one. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, you had these psychos <laughs> um, who believed, I don't, I don't even know, like this case is just so incredibly crazy to me. So you have, again, they're kind of allied with some white supremacist sort of teachings, although I think some of the connections there might not be quite as clear. Yeah. But you have this psycho named David Koresh, um, and he's got this compound down in Waco, Texas, called the Branch Davidian Compound. Right. And again... It's the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms that are trying to execute and arrest and search warrants against him. And again, you have these idiots who think, you know, David Koresh is Jesus Christ. He's the second coming and the world's going to end and they need to be prepared, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, there's also very good evidence. I mean, there was child sexual abuse going on. There were multiple other types of abuse going on in this compound, as is so often the case when you have men who think they're Jesus. Um, And so they were going in and gunfire erupts. Four ATF agents were killed and 16 were wounded. An undetermined number of Davidians were killed and injured. And then within a few hours, the FBI kind of took over the standoff. And like I said, that was February 28th, 1993. Okay. And so then there's just this standoff, of course. They won't come out. You know, the FBI FBI is afraid to go in because, yeah, what's going to happen? So. And that lasted 51 days. Yep. 51 days. days. And this is, again, one of those situations that it just pisses me off because we know without a doubt that what happened is Koresh and his followers had booby-trapped the inside of that place so that it would blow up, go up in flames. Mm-hmm. And then your white nationalist freak shows want to say, oh, you know, the government just murdered all these people just to murder them. Right. Which we know is absolutely not true. Right. Um, so the date is, what's the actual date? I'm sorry. April 19th, was it? Yes. Is that the date? I'm yes. Trying April to 19th, 1993. Okay. And that's when the FBI decide to actually do something. Right. It's been 51 days and they're yeah. like, they're finally like. Enough's w- enough. Enough's enough. And Plus, like I said, they knew like, and you know, a few people have managed to come out. Um, and like I said, they knew again, there are multitudes of crimes being committed here. Right. These are not some innocent, you know, sweet little people who just want to worship God. You know, there was horrific things going on. Right. And so, you know, and again, they made it very, very clear, you know, come on out sort of thing. But again, we did have a deviation from the approved plan, I guess. And so... 
um, the CEV, they begin knocking holes into the compound on the morning of the assault. And I'm trying, sorry, I'm all lost on my timeline here. I'm so, trying to find everything for you and I'm not doing a good job. In these holes, they start throwing tear gas. Right. To try to get more people to come out. Right. And it's sometime during this attack, the uh, Mount Carmel Center that they are in mm -hmm. just like burst into flames. Yeah. And because of this, they, um, it resulted in 76 deaths from right. the Branch right. Davidians, and, including David Koresh. And they do know that the Davidians, the Davidians themselves started fires at three or more different locations within the compound. Right. Those fires, the way that place went up, they started from the inside. Right. That's very clear from all the forensic analysis that was done after. But again... The narrative from your friendly neighborhood neo-Nazis, of course, is, oh no, the federal government just wiped these people out. Right. And they had, so there was an investigation for the fires oh, to themselves. There was a huge, and I mean, it that was, place, I mean, that case was investigated for years. Yeah. I can't even imagine how many, how much money, time, man hours went into right. that. So this all happened in 93. Yes. And the investigation ended in 2000. Yeah. And that's when they decided, that's when the investigation officially said that like the members of this Branch Davidians group started the fires. Right. Like it, it had to, you know what yes. I mean? And this was only... 12 months after Ruby Ridge, about 12 months, a little less, and not too long before the Oklahoma City bombing. Right. And in fact, so there's a connection here. There is a connection. The man that we will talk about in Thursday's episode when we talk about the Oklahoma City bombing, he was present at... Timothy the, McVeigh. Every, I mean, I think most people probably know. No, yeah. yeah. So he was actually at Waco. He was in Waco. So there are, I, I watched a few videos on it, um, news recordings mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And it was basically as close as uh, citizens could get mm -hmm. to the building itself. Right. Which makes sense because less casualties, mm -hmm. the better. And yeah, he was not a Branch Davidian, but he was part. So it had started with Ruby Ridge, this idea that particularly the FBI and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, a, a term that got thrown around at the time was that they were jackbooted thugs. And that was the slur that was thrown against them at the time. And so within the white supremacist movement, you just had this blind hatred particularly of those two institutions because of their involvement at Ruby Ridge. Right. And so when this was going on with the Branch Davidians, although you don't necessarily have super close ties, like I said, between the two, um, there is this united hatred of the, the uh, ATF and the FBI. Right. And so a lot of white supremacists went down amongst them, Timothy McVeigh, to protest the ATF and the FBI and what they were doing. Right. And he did an interview with a, a student journalist 
that was there. Uh-huh. And he did an, it, it was a very short, small interview, right. but he did do an interview with her. Basically, it was almost him trying to, like, warn Americans that, like, the government is trying to take away all of our rights, which sounds so familiar to nowadays. You know what I mean? Well, like I said, you know, and I'm sorry, I, I don't want to get too political here, and right. I, I'm going to bite my tongue. But I will say this, white supremacists in this country have been emboldened and enabled in a number of ways in the last few years. Yeah. The cockroaches have come back out from under the refrigerator and are marching proudly. Yeah. So, now we're going to talk about the Oklahoma City bombing, which is the majority of what we're talking about today. And I will also tell you why those other two um, instances that we just talked about, why they're important. In a little while, aside from the fact that Timothy McVeigh right. was present in Waco, Texas. Yes, and all three of the these events are still important to these psychopaths. Correct. So, there was another thing that we were going to talk about before we talk about the bombing is the book. Oh, the Turner, yes. The, what is it, the, Turner, the Turner Diaries. So, the Turner Diaries is often kind of called the Bible of the white supremacist Correct. movement. So, and... And the timing of this is also Have you read important. this book? No. Okay. I'm not curious. going to waste my time. I once tried to read Mein Kampf because as a German teacher, I felt like I should try. And then I thought, you know what? I really don't need to understand how his brain worked. Part of me is like a little curious, but then the other side of me is like, I don't give a fuck. I don't want to waste my time with yeah, it. Yeah. It's a waste. You know what I mean? That's how I feel. But at the same time, like part of me is kind of curious to like, because it's the same thing when we look at like true crime, because mm-hmm. it's one of those things like... I want to look away, but I can't. Yeah. So it's another one of those things that, like, I don't understand. So, yeah. like, I kind of want to read yeah. it to maybe, like, see what's yeah. going on. And let me on, tell you. But... So my first husband was a total gun nut. I've been to plenty of gun shows in my life. Um, and at every one of them, I have seen the Turner Diaries being sold. And I will just really? put that out there. And that is God's honest truth. Hmm. So the Turner Diaries were published in 1978 under a pseudonym. And... Um, Basically, they are set, like I think the first entry is in September of 1993. Mm. And so the whole idea behind the Turner Diaries is that, and uh, here, I'm going to go ahead and look it up so I can be a little bit more specific. Not that I think any of this bullshit really matters. Granted, this is all fictional. I uh, will say that. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, um... If I'm, oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. The the first date, the first entry in the diary is September 16, 1991. Sorry, I was off by two years. So in it, it's a racist vision of a nightmare world. I'm reading from the Atlantic article about this, in which the system, which is African-American enforcers led by Jewish politicians, attempt to confiscate all guns in the United States. A secretive organization known as The Order rises up to take back the country for white supremacists. This is the same kind of bullshit, by the way, that Charles Manson was also spouting to his family back in the 1960s that you had some sort of a conspiracy between blacks and Jews. And, you know, that's why he had the Tates and the LaBianca murders committed was he was trying to create a race war. Right. So whites could take back the country. And I, Jesus. Also, just for a second, uh, Charles Manson was fucking a coward because of, (laughs) only because, and I say this and it's hard to explain because 
honestly, he physically never killed anybody. Well, that's not true. They're pretty sure he did, actually, prior to his becoming this guru in the desert there in California. So most people are pretty sure he did, in fact, commit some murders himself. But once, and again, you know, you've got some very David Koreshian parallels here where he too is preaching that he's Jesus and his followers are very dedicated to him and he's got wives and he's having sex with all of them. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like there's, you know, David Koreshian had a little stronger grounding in the whole Bible thing maybe, but as far as their constructs and a lot of the thinking that they had, they were very similar. But like how much of a coward if you're, if you want to kill people, Kill him yourself instead of talking <laughs> other people into doing it. You know what I mean? Like, to me, it's just a fucking coward's way out. Granted, he still got caught, still got right. tossed into prison. Yes. But, and it's still fucking terrible. The whole thing's terrible. But, do you know what I mean? Am I making sense? You're, you're making some sense. Okay. I'm, I'm going to go along with you here. Also, I need to take a breath. Okay. Yes. And this is the best tea I've ever tasted in my life. I told so you. I told you. I made her tea today, so she's very impressed with and me it's right now. delicious. Yes. So I'm happy. But, okay. So now we're going to jump into the Oklahoma City bombing. Okay. Now, this happened at exactly 9.02 a.m., on April 19th, 1995. And again, it's something I remember far too well. Right. And I talked about this, about how I, when I was watching the show about it, I got so emotional. And that normally doesn't happen mm -hmm. with me when I'm watching either documentaries or anything like that. I don't normally get very emotional about this kind of stuff. But for some reason, this one fucking killed me. I was just like sobbing. Well, and like you said, I think it's the fact that it was all video. You know, you, you could watch it basically right. not, you know, as it unfolded. It's it's like 9-11 in that way that you watched it. You know, right. you watched it happen. You saw people stumbling, you know, in this wreckage. You, and yeah. you saw the emotion on their faces. You saw the first responders you know, trying to save lives and trying to help. And then I think for you, watching it in retrospect is also that knowledge, which we didn't have at the time as we watched it, but you knew and you know that it was done by an American. Right. You know, by, and by a veteran, by like, you know, all those things that we are supposed to respect and honor in this country just got twisted and turned in such a disgustingly ugly way. And the fact that he targeted that building because there were children there. And he had actually, it's only by the grace of God that far more of them were not killed. Because right. that was his intent. Right. And so the, oh, it was, I think another thing that really hit me right in the feelers was one that I was able to watch interviews with people who were in the building when mm -hmm. it happened and survived. Yeah. And then seeing interviews of parents and loved ones and friends of people who were in the building that did not survive. Mm -hmm. And I think that is what like broke me down. Not to mention watching the videos and the, really it was the kids that really mm -hmm. killed me because yeah. 
And I, I think that, like, now that I'm a parent, anytime I see anything about a child dying, I will start sobbing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so seeing the videos and the pictures of these first responders bringing out these children in their arms that you know didn't make it. Yeah. And so I'm just standing there watching this sobbing. Now, before we go into it, uh, the show that I watched is on HLN and it is called uh, How It Really Happened with something Harper. I don't remember his first name, but his last name's Harper. Um, and it was amazing the way that they put everything together, the interviews that they did. Much better than I put together Ruby Ridge and (laughs) Waco, but I was just trying to get through them and get a quick overview. So I apologize for the roughness of my presentation. So April 19th, 1995, 9.02 AM. And that was significant, of course. Yes. And they bring the significance out also in the memorial Mm -hmm. because I did look up the memorial also. And I guess that when you walk in to the memorial there's a big plaque that says 901 a.m mm-hmm. and then you kind of have to like walk through a hole in the wall and on the other side there's a big plaque it says 902 a.m and there are chairs mm-hmm. there's 168 chairs yep. empty that are just there and they are there to represent the 168 people who died during this bombing and they each have a plaque with the person's name. Do they? Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't I didn't go like super in depth, but I did get to like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And your husband has visited this memorial. Yes. Yes. And in fact, when he was there, he was walking because he was there for some, I don't know, it was back when he was uh, in the reserves with the Air Force and they were there for some training or whatever. And he and this other guy were there. And so he had called me on the phone and I was looking stuff up on the internet and I was reading to him what everything symbolized and you know, all of that. So, so that is something I would love to go see that. I would love, I would too. I mean, it would be really hard and I'd probably be sobbing the whole time, but I think it would be a beautiful thing to go see. One of my favorite TV shows is one that's probably underknown and, but it stars, stars Holly Hunter, whom I adore. It's called Saving Grace. I've heard of it. And it starts, I mean, that's it. It's set in Oklahoma city and she is scarred by the Oklahoma City bombing because she lost a family member in it. And that kind of, yeah, gives some of the framework for the story. So, so like I said, there were 168 people that were killed. Mm-hmm. Um, there were more than 680 people injured. Jesus. And it just, it destroyed one third of the building. And this was the Alfred P. Murrah federal mm-hmm. building and this was also another reason why it was targeted is because it was a federal building right right and um so it destroyed a third of the building the blast from the explosion also destroyed and damaged 324 other buildings yeah within a 16 block radius It shattered glass in 258 nearby buildings, and it destroyed and burned 86 cars. And it's it's an estimated total to about $652 million worth of damage. Mm -hmm. And they have... So (laughs) the bombing was started by a moving truck. Mm -hmm. And this moving truck was... It had two bombs on it. One had a five-minute uh, detonator, mm-hmm, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the... Why is the word not coming to me? 
the string that you like. The fuse. Thank you. Uh, so one of them had a five minute fuse. The other one had a two minute fuse and they were both lit. Mm -hmm. And at one point during the explosion, so the explosion goes off. Mm -hmm. um, first responders get there. They're, they're going through all the rubble, trying to rescue as many people as they possibly can. And at some point, everybody that is able to move mm -hmm. is told to get the fuck out of the building because there's another bomb. Right. And so there was one woman on this show that she did the interview and she, at the time she was over 300 pounds. She was originally on the third or fourth floor. I'm not really, I don't really remember which one. And she was like, at the time I didn't realize that I was on the ground floor afterward. Mm -hmm. Like she had gone straight to the Damn, ground. Jesus. And at the time that the first responders were told to like, get the fuck out, there's another bomb. One of the first responders had his hand touching her. Uh-huh. And he had to leave her there. Mm-hmm. Because they were told there was another bomb. And she, at that point, she was like, that's it. I'm going to fucking die. Mm-hmm. She sat in that rubble for six hours before they were, were able to get her out of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely terrible. And we also talked about this again. That was the deadliest terrorist attack in the United States until 9-11. And it remains the deadliest attack of domestic terrorism in the United States. And that just means somebody, an American citizen doing it. Yes. So they had, within 90 minutes of this explosion, the man, Timothy McVeigh, who was the one who set the bombs down. Another thing that really pissed me off about watching this show is having to listen to his fucking, uh, his fucking confession tapes. Mm -hmm. And there, I believe you can want, I believe you have to buy it to rent it on Amazon, but they do have a movie called the McVeigh tapes. Yeah, and I do believe it was on Netflix. I remember it was on Netflix at it's one time. It's not anymore. Okay. So. I, I checked today to try to find <laughs> try to find where I could watch it. And I believe the only place I saw was Amazon Prime, but you do okay. have to pay for okay. it. Okay, you can rent um, it. Right. And this was, I believe it was 50, 48 or 58 hours worth of confession tapes from him. Jesus. Right. And I'm sure that's what they used for right, the right. show. And he, as he pulled up, as he was driving to the scene, he had the whole thing planned. He was in this truck. He lit the five minute fuse. He gets up to a stoplight and he had planned and timed all of this right. already. And he pulls up to the stoplight, lights the two minute fuse because he's that close. And he said out loud, he was like, I was sitting at that light terrified. Because it wasn't turning green fast enough. And so he pulls up to, he ends up, the light turns green. He goes through, he parks where he wants to park. He gets out and he's walking across the street. And he, he said specifically, I had to walk slow right, so, so that nobody yeah, would pay attention. You can't because, get out of a car and start running. Right. And then an explosion yeah. happens because then people are going to be like, oh, I saw this dude running right. across the street. So he was like trying to walk and trying to not be very suspicious. But he said the moment that he hit the alleyway, he fucking took off and he is running. And he remembered or he said he was like, I remember walking across the street thinking it should have gone off already. Right. And so he was almost scared that he was going to have to go back. 
because he had also rigged one of the bombs to where if he shot it, it, everything would explode. Right. You know what I mean? And so he took off running. He had his escape car parked not too far away. Um, It was a couple of miles away, but he had ran to his car, got in his car, drove away. And all while this is happening, the city is now in complete fucking chaos. And he also said that he remembered as he was driving away, he kept his eyes in the air to watch for a helicopter. Right. Because he didn't want to be the only person driving out of town while everybody else is in this big, huge commotion. Right. So he thought about all of this Oh, yeah. I mean, well, this had been, you know, very meticulously thought out and planned not just by him let's also point that out i mean he definitely had some friends helping him to to cover any bugs in the plan right um and you know you just build the bomb right and you just think you know what if you weren't a racist piece of shit what if you had been a decent human being who had actually made something of your career in the military and done something Right. You know, positive with your life. What could have been? Uh, uh, could have been 168 more people not dead. Well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and another thing. So we've talked about the children. We talked about that there was a daycare in this building. Of this 168 people that died, 19 of them were children. Yeah. And that breaks my fucking heart. Yeah. I mean, anyone, and like I said, and that was part of the reason he targeted this place. And, um, I I do, you know, I, I don't care. I don't care who you are. If part, if you believe in treating children badly, you are a bad person. Correct. And I, I, that is still true today. I mean, everything that's been going on at our Southern border, right? You can feel however you feel about immigration, you know, however much that you, you know, however you, if you want the borders completely shut off and another person can never step foot across the border again, whatever, you know, that's your belief system. But if you believe that part of that is treating children badly in the way children down there are being treated right now that we don't talk about anymore, you're a bad person. And I don't care who you are. I don't care who's listening right now. I'm saying that, and you you can't convince me otherwise. Right. So, 19 children. Devastating. Um, Some of the people, one of the girls that was in the building that ended up dying, she didn't make it through the bombing. Um, her, Her dad had talked, and she, had she been where she was supposed to be, she would have been fine. But she ended up on another floor to do something or other, and she ended up, she was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and it just didn't end well. And one of the women whose children, two of her children died that day, and two of her grandchildren, I'm sorry, I believe she was raising them the way that it sounded, so they're still her fucking children. Two of her children that had died that day. She said when she got the call that that something had happened at the daycare and she needed to go try to find her children, she pulled up on the opposite side than, of the building of where from where the bomb had gone off, and she was like, "There's got to be some sort of mistake because there's nothing wrong with the building." Until she got to the other side and was like, "Holy fuck!" Because the whole side of the building was fucking gone, mm-hmm. and it's devastating. So Timothy McVeigh got in his car fucking booked it now 
the good thing and the thing that most people didn't know at the time was that about 90 an hour and a half or so an hour and a half or so 90 minutes 90 yeah, minutes after the bombing timothy mcveigh gets pulled over and he gets pulled over in his canary yellow mercury marquee because, do you know why? I, I do not remember, to be honest with you. And he I'm didn't kind have of, the back fucking license that's plate. That's what it was, yeah. There was no license plate on the back of the car. And so the, the troopers, the state trooper was like, nope, pulled him over. Normally, had Timothy McVeigh been smart, and I mean he was smart enough to like pull this all together with help, but he was not smart enough to do it without getting caught. Mm-hmm. Because had he been smart enough, he very well could have just been like, oh, sorry, I didn't realize. I'll get it taken care of. He would have been on his way and across the fucking country before they realized mm-hmm. who had fucking done it. He could have been out of the country before they figured out who did mm-hmm. it. But instead, and at this point in time, it was in Oklahoma at least, it was illegal to conceal carry. In a vehicle. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's still the way it is. I'm sure it's not because oh, yeah, there's sure been such a swing. Right. So at the time, it was illegal to conceal carry in a vehicle. Now, he didn't care about the laws, clearly. And he was concealed carrying. And he had uh, a shoulder shoulder holster that had a gun in it under his shirt. Mm-hmm. So with the cop pulls him over, tells him to get out of the car... And at this point, he says he thought about shooting the cop. He's like, I could have done it and just drove mm, away. But I then, do remember that. You know what I mean? So he thought about it and he changes his mind. Until the trooper sees the bulge in the side mm-hmm. of his shirt and was like, nope. Ends up pulling his gun while he handcuffs him, which was smart. Yes. Because had he not, that trooper probably would have died. Right. And so he... Handcuffs him, puts him in the back of the car, fucking takes him to jail. And while he's in jail, this is the first moment that Timothy McVeigh is able to see the damage that he's done. Because they've got their... And it was... The town that they pulled him over in was fucking tiny. The jail was like one or two jail Mm -hmm. cells, one guy working. Like, you're almost (laughs) stereotypical Mm -hmm. small town jail. And that's what it was. And it had this tiny little TV in it, and he's watching the news of all of the shit that had just gone down that he did. And he's just sitting there watching it. Yeah. And at this point, nobody knows that he's already in custody. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's where we're going to leave it for today. I think like that's a nice spot to leave it. Th- well done. I like that. Thanks. That yes. was not planned, by the way. Yes. Plus, I'm just sitting here fuming. I'm sorry. I am psychotic about this. Like, I cannot be a rational human being about this. Right. I really, I, I lose it. And I know that I lose it. <laughs> Which is kind of, and, and I think it's because I talk, so I teach night to my sophomore class. And we talk like a lot. It, it's a, a memoir by Ellie Wiesel, um, who was 15 years old when he and his family were taken to Auschwitz. And he survived. <laughs> And Did you read that? Did I, you make me read that? I don't think I did. There I are years there are years that I skip it because it is emotionally damaging to me as right. a human. Honestly, I don't think you read that. yeah, to go through that. And without fail when I teach it, my students see me cry at least once. Um, you know, and in school I have to hold it together. You know what I mean? But here I don't have to hold it together. And I'm just like I said, I can't believe I live in a country where we have Nazis. Yeah. 
Well, this is a great place to stop because Elena's now crying, <laughs> and we have talked in the last couple of episodes. I'm a sympathy crier, and I can't handle it. <laughs> okay, because I'm I will start. So, on Thursday, we're going to go deeper into Timothy McVeigh's past. We are going to go into some of his interviews. We are going to go into the people that helped him do this monstrous thing that, that he did. And we're going to go into more of how he got caught. Mm-hmm. Because as smart as he thought he was, and as smart, I mean, granted, he was smart. There were things he did that, you know, I mean, as much as you hate it, you know yeah. what I'm saying? You do. You have to say, okay, you know. And and that is the stuff I think you have to study out, you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and think about. Um, you don't need to read the fucking Turner Diaries. But you need to understand something like this. And how they made it happen. Right. And so we're going to talk about how he got caught and the the things that he did with as smart as he was with a lot of it. He made some very, and it's going to sound up, he made some fucking rookie mistakes, yeah. man. Yeah. He did. And so we're going to talk about those dumb mistakes that he made Good. that led to his ultimate capture. And we will find out. More about that on Thursday. So pop on to our Facebook discussion page. Like us on Facebook. Oh, speaking of our Facebook discussion page, since this happened yesterday. So if you decide that you don't want to join the discussion group because you're not caught up yet, don't do that. Yeah, just join. Just join. We enjoy talking about old cases. Like, don't even fucking worry about any of that. Yeah, we love it. Like, wherever you are in the timeline, whatever case you want to talk about, bring up, bring it up. That's right. It's it's not a test. It's not. Right. You don't. There's no spoilers. We don't judge you for not being caught up. Like, shit. I haven't. I couldn't tell you the last time I listened to it. <laughs> well, and I told Kaylin, I said, I really do try to listen every week. Mm-hmm. I did not listen to, <laughs> to my Japan. I told you, I can't. You told, you, you told me you weren't going to. And I did not. I cannot. Yeah. So. so join our discussion group. I don't care what episode you're on. If this is our, yep. if this is your first, if you are all the way caught up, if you're halfway through, I don't care. Join our discussion group. Come talk with us. We appreciate you so, so much. We and do. we really appreciate your input. We do appreciate hearing alternate views mm-hmm. unless you're a nazi shut up go away don't even join us <laughs> um i don't care i'm sorry no nazis allowed that is our final rule that I is feel our like only I should rule add that into our rules. yes because we do have yes. some rules but it's just basic be, be nice to each other yeah but that's our big rule if you're a nazi get out <laughs> um but anyway sorry we also really appreciate your suggestions so if yes. you have any suggestions go ahead and email us at state of crime podcast at gmail.com or you can just message our facebook uh, page yes. will respond there too. And you can also email me directly. I mean, well, I'll put that because we have a couple of emails floating out there. I'm going to give yeah. you guys my personal email address so that we can communicate a little easier because I don't always get on that email and I feel bad. So, oh, yeah. I, yeah. So, also, if you are listening on an Apple product, make sure you go into your Apple podcast and rate and review us. It helps us out a lot. Yeah. And I think that's everything. So, until next time. Thanks for listening.